Bom dia, boa tarde. Welcome to another episode of the PortugueseSoccer.com podcast. I'm your guest host, John Neves, back here again to talk about my favorite subject, your favorite subject, and that is, of course, Portuguese soccer, Portuguese football, whatever word you use in your part of the world. Episode number 75, and I've got another good one on tap. First off, I have my second half of this episode will be an interview with a gentleman named Bavin. Um, I interviewed him way back in March. We talked about all things sporting and the Liga and the national team. And I said that I would bring him back if sporting won the Liga because, number one, among the many things we talked about today, about everything in uh, Portugal, number one, I wanted to hear from him firsthand what it was like back in May when uh, sporting won the Liga, what it was like back in Lisbon. What was the energy around the stadium? What was the energy in the streets? What was it like in March de Pumbal to be nearby? Uh, did he get a chance to see the open air bus with the players pass? I asked him that. And uh, we had a really good conversation. And then we talked about João Mario and the situation with Sporting and Benfica. And I really loved his uh, perspective on it, especially if, you know, he, you know, it looks like João Mario may have made a big mistake. Uh, you'll hear about that uh, soon on the interview. Um, we discussed about the Luis Felipe Vieira situation. Obviously, this is a situation that drastically drastically affects Benfica, but this is also a situation that kind of makes Portugal look bad, and we, we kind of uh, discussed that. We discussed this summer's transfer market, particularly with Sporting. Are they going to sell Nuno Mendes? Uh, what does that look like? We discussed the COVID situation in Portugal. He was just in the Algarve, and then he went back home to the Lisbon region, and you know, there's pretty much uh, restrictions on... Uh, well, a lot of restrictions in Lisbon these days. Obviously, Portugal is undergoing a bit of a uh, relapse. Uh, the cases are going up. But there is some good news uh, that the Portuguese government has done, um, But um, you know, which I'll talk about in a minute. But we did talk about what is it like in Portugal with all that's going on, and uh, you know, especially with the curfews and you know, Lisbon region being on lockdown on uh, the past uh, two weekends. And then we discussed... My opinion on the Super Cup, uh, why it needs to be played outside of Portugal, obviously not this year with everything going on with the pandemic, but in more normal times. And uh, we also discussed uh, television in Portugal. So a lot a lot of ground covered, and I'm really looking forward to having that interview. Whenever I do an interview, I try to I think about it for 20 to 25 minutes, and it always winds up being twice as long, which means we really had a lot to talk about, and I, and I really enjoy the interviews. Um, Gentle reminder, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, my previous episode, why are Turkish clubs interested so much at Portuguese players? And even not Portuguese players, players that are foreigners that play in Portugal, why are they interested in the Portuguese managers? It seems like every day there's a lot of news of Turkish clubs interested in something with a, a player that plays in Portugal or a manager uh, or a Portuguese manager. What is that all about? And I got a very interesting, and I did a great interview with someone in Istanbul. Um, I think you'll really enjoy it if you haven't had a chance to uh, check it out. But let's discuss a few things before I get to the interview. Number one, the um, the government, uh, the Liga, I should say, announced that fans will be allowed back at stadiums at about up to about 33% capacity. But if you are a fan that's going to go to a match, you need to provide uh, proof that you are fully vaccinated or you need to provide proof that uh, you have a negative test within 48 hours of the match, or that if you have uh, had COVID in the past 180 days that you have a doctor's note or a note from the hospital that you are fully recovered. And that will allow you to enter a match 
And uh, that's obviously very good news. Uh, Portugal is also doing that in some of the parts of the country that are under some restrictions that to enter a restaurant or to go into a hotel, you need to do the same things with providing vaccination proof or negative test. So it looks like Portugal is starting to progress um, with regards to how they're trying to keep the economy going, but who can do what if you're able to provide this type of proof. So I think that's uh, pretty good news. We did discuss in my interview with Bavin about why didn't Portugal before this allow feds? And you know that was also a part of the interview. Um, few comments on the Liga schedule draw that happened uh, on Thursday. Uh, let me just say, I'm not one of these people that you could sit there and say, boy, this team has a very hard schedule to start the season, or that team has got a very hard schedule to start the season. And I say that because outside of the big three in Braga, you don't really know about the rest of the teams. Um, a lot of the clubs do a lot of turnover of players. Players that were on loan have to go back. Players, their best players are usually sold. Um, usually there's a new manager. Um, there's always a lot of changes. I mean, you look at last year, Riwav eliminates Bexiktas in Turkey, then almost eliminates AC Milan at home and uh, almost, you know, qualified for the Europa League. And everybody was like, wow, they, they're going to have a great season. And they got relegated. You look at a club like Boavista, which I thought was going to have a great season last year with all their signings. And, you know, they spent uh, the whole season trying to avoid relegation, which they succeeded but I'm not sure that's what their fans wanted. And then you look at Meritimu, which is generally a team in the middle of the standings, in the middle of the table, and occasionally every few years make it to Europe. And they were also battling all season, trying to avoid relegation. So you don't really know sometimes what you're going to get. But as far as talking about the big three and talking about Braga, there are some very interesting matches. First off, very interesting in case you haven't noticed, obviously the Super Cup is on July the 31st. Um, Braga Sporting, and then round two, week two of the Liga season, you also have a Braga Sporting right off the bat. So you have Braga Sporting playing each other twice within three weeks, one for a cup, the other one for uh, points in the Liga. And uh, the good news, though, if you're a fan of Braga Sporting is that you don't have to worry about qualifying for Europe. So the only thing you're really worried about is playing each other twice. And then, of course, your first uh, match of the uh, season. Um, sporting this year, I think, unlike the other uh, big teams in Portugal, though, do have one bit of a challenge. And that is this year they are going to be playing in Europe. Uh, there's been a lot of conversation about how much they're not playing in Europe last year. Hope Sporting. A lot of debate on that, but Ruben Amarin did admit that to a certain extent, it did help his young players. But very interesting situation with the calendar. You have the international break in early September, and then right after the international break, you have uh, basically Porto and Sporting playing each other. And then the match after is match day one of the Champions League. So if you're a Sporting and a Porto, you're going to have maybe maybe three days to get ready for this big match after the international break. And then right after that, you know, depending on if you're playing Tuesday or Wednesday in the Champions League, then you're going to play, you know, your first Champions League match. And obviously Champions League matches are worth a lot of money. And what happens if you wind up getting one of the big giants right off the bat to uh, start? So that bears. Uh, so that's a very interesting perspective when you look at the sporting schedule that, um, you know, to a certain degree, they probably do have a little bit of challenges in terms of how many of the big clubs they're going to be playing early in the season. And then, by the way, week 33, round 33, you have a Benfica-Porto uh, second to last match of the season. So that always has implications on the standings. And uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, 
Also, they had at the uh, draw, the schedule draw, they also did the League Cup, the Tasa de Liga uh, draw for the first and second preliminary round. And uh, interestingly, the first round features 28 teams, a mix of uh, the second division clubs and uh, a lot of the bottom clubs in the uh, first division. And then from those 28 teams, you'll have 14 that advance. Those 14 will join Santa Clara and Pastors de Ferreira, which join in on the second preliminary round. And then you'll have 16 teams, eight matches, and then you'll have eight teams that will advance to join uh, the other big clubs in uh, Portugal, the big three in Abraga, uh, to start playing for the uh, next uh, round of this competition. Details will be announced uh, later in a future uh, podcast. Um, a few other thoughts. Uh, I noticed FC Porto B. Uh, Porto's been signing a lot of players for their B squad. Looks like Porto's trying to avoid a situation where last year they were literally fighting off relegation a lot. Um, so they're trying to avoid that. So I've been noticing a lot of signings uh, from Porto on that end. Um, Portuguese, uh, the, the league of players, uh, it was announced at the draw that the players are going to be vaccinated. So the good news is that by the time we get to the middle of August, toward the end of August, a lot of the players in the league uh, will be uh, fully vaccinated. And that obviously, uh, first off, number one, it protects them. Uh, if they do happen to get COVID after the vaccination, um, you know, the positives are that they don't tend to get it as bad. But again, I'll let you figure out the medicine on that and read your news and talk to your doctors about the importance of that. But the bottom line is that the league of players and the staffs are being vaccinated. Uh, so that was a big announcement uh, by the uh, the Liga. I spoke a lot about the Luis Felipe de Seg, uh, in my next interview coming up here with uh, Bavin, but um, basically not a good situation for uh, Portugal. Uh, he, uh, as of today, the news is, I, I, you know, I did the interview with Bavin on a Thursday. The news today, when I'm recording this on a Friday, is that Luis Felipe has basically temporarily given up his post as a president and others will uh, take over so he could concentrate on his uh, defense and dealing with his lawyers. And uh, that's the situation with that. So um, I'm going to get going now with uh, my interview. We spoke about a lot of things. So it's going to be a roller coaster ride of a lot of topics, but I love those type of interviews. I think those are the ones that are the best. Um, and uh, again, hope you enjoy it. Uh, gentle reminder again, I did this interview on a Thursday. So chances are, if you're listening to this three, four, five days later, there may be some updates with some of the things we uh, spoke about. Always feel the need to mention that so people understand uh, why we're talking about things when uh, they are happening at that uh, time. But here we are. Second week of July, preseason is underway. Teams are starting to play preseason matches, especially in the Algarve region. Um, fans are allowed back into stadiums, provide they provide the uh, proof. Um, folks, compared to last year when we were finishing up a season this year, at least in terms of the schedule, things are a little bit more normal. There are going to be uh, fans. Um, and I think, you know, it's just exciting. It's, it's very exciting time. Um, and again, you know, I'm glad that uh, things are going as well as they are so far, but hopefully the COVID situation does turn around in uh, Portugal. And hopefully by the time we get to uh, later on this year, that more than 33% of fans can be, uh, should, you know, would be allowed to go to one of the matches in Portugal. Coming up uh, next, my interview with Bavin. <laughs> Part two of the PortugueseSoccer.com podcast, and I'm very happy to have back 
Um, I had him back on in March and I said I wanted to bring it back on, you know, so if uh, Sporting won, which they did, I wanted to get the I wanted to get the feel back in uh, June when Sporting won. You know, I wanted to kind of someone to tell me what is excuse me, May. You corrected me on that, too, and I still got it wrong. But uh, I want to talk about that. We'll talk about the João Mario situation, um, and then we're going to talk about other things. And I want to welcome back uh, Bavin. Thank you for coming back. Yeah, thank you, John, for having me. And it's a good sign that it came back, right? I think it's a very good sign. It, uh, <laughs> nobody said anything bad. Good listens. Uh, but no, thank you so much. Uh, great follow on Twitter, B-A-A-V-I-N. And um, somebody that uh, I've communicated with a few times and, um, you know, somebody that I, I think I'm very comfortable talking to, sporting about. Uh, you did such a great job the last time, especially talking about the Polina situation that I said, you know what, I got to bring him back on to talk about May the 11th and to talk about what's going on with João Mario. Let's start off first with the situation with uh, João Mario, because obviously the only people that really know what's going on is João Mario is sporting, is Benfica, and it's Inter, and the agent. But obviously the newspapers, because he would become the 25th player to go play cross town, this is a big story, um, or at least so far the biggest story of the summer. So as I understand it, and I want you to do me a favor and correct me and tell me where I'm wrong or add to what I'm about to tell you. So obviously everybody knows back in 2016, I believe it was right after we won the Euro, uh, Zhuang makes this big move. Uh, I think it was 45 million to enter. Um, I believe that it happened, I think it was like four years ago next week, but, um, uh, or, you know, right around this time. And then he, uh, he makes the move and um, it's, it hasn't been that great, let's be honest. But last year he goes on loan to Sporting. Obviously he um, has a great season. Sporting win the title for the first time in 19 years. And uh, then there's reports saying that he wants to stay. Then we start to hear reports that Benfica is very interested in him. JJ obviously knows him from uh, his, he knows of him. He wants to bring him in. He's probably looking for someone that's got some leadership. And we hear various things. We hear number one, that uh, Sporting make an offer. Record says four plus add-ons. Mice Football says three plus add-ons. Uh, Benfica supposedly per media reports is offering seven and a half million, which, you know, based on what Sporting's offering, what Benfica's offering would make sense for Inter to accept the Benfica offer. But now we hear that there might be an anti-rival clause, although I'm pretty sure I, I read a few years ago, the anti-rival clauses are not legal, but then there's an option of that Sporting has an option to buy him first. So there's all these things in the news what do you know and what, what do you think is going on here with Joe Mari? Well, what can we say is really the truth? So I think there was a, a mutual agreement between Sporting and Joe Mario that Sporting wanted to keep him and he wanted to stay at Sporting. But then there were negotiations, right? So first you got to get through Inter and then get to Joe Mario and negotiate with Joe Mario as well. I think. Um, Sporting probably played a, a long game, so they down. So they bid. They bid. Is it three or four million plus add-ons? Um, Inter wanted seven and a half million. I think and this is my perception of what happened. I think Joe Mario possibly jumped jumped the gun 
I think he, he could have waited a bit longer uh, before going to Benfica. Because I don't think Benfica just put it this way. I think his agent um, put Benfica uh, or proposed Romário to Benfica. Um, I think it was too fast. I think he could have waited a bit longer for the, for the negotiations between Sporting and, and Inter. He didn't. It's his, it's his choice, um, which is free to do so. Um, and now there's this thing that if he can want him, and they, they say it's 7.5 million to Inter plus 4 million, 4 million to, to Jomari per year for five years, um, which is something that Sporting, I guess, isn't comfortable with. Um, especially considering his age and everything. Um, yeah, so I think that's where we're at. Now, regarding the anti-rival clause, we've heard this for years, right? We, every single year. Last year, it was Juven Smedu to Benfica. The year before, it was Adrian to Porto. There's been, every year, there's been talks of some exporting player going to one of the rivals. And then the anti-rival clause gets brought up. And in the end, nobody goes through with it. I think there's a reason for it, right? Because there's a risk associated. Nobody knows for sure if it is completely legal or not legal. And do they really want to risk um, having to pay 30 million to Spartan? Um, remember that the club that would pay Spartan 30 million would be in debt, not being figured. So I think Inter is probably thinking, is it really worth the risk? That's one of the things that they're probably considering. And B, they, they themselves have put anti-rival clauses on, on their players. So Icardi, for example, has an anti-rival clause for Juve. So if he gets, Icardi gets sold to Juve, Inter get 15 million, I think. And so, they would be doubting their own anti-rival clause. So is it worth it? Uh, in my opinion, I don't think this deal will go through, will go through um, because I think the risks are, are, are too big for, for Inter. I don't think Sporting now is, does even considers uh, negotiating with Jean Mario after, after going to Benfica like, like this. Um, and I think Jean Mario, I don't know, but I think he might have to leave Portugal or spend a year without playing somewhere. I don't think it's a, a good situation for him to be in right now. So he burned his own bridge by going to Benfica. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, let me say first, I think for me, it should be pretty, it should be pretty easy to figure out from FIFA. It's either yes, illegal clauses are illegal. Or no, they aren't. And if they aren't, then clubs can choose to use them and continue to use them. So I think to me, this is one of the uh, things sometimes about football and soccer is it seems like some not everybody knows because had to have somebody had an answer by now, then we would have had a resolution. The, the thing is, it, it all depends on your wording. Like anti-rival clause isn't a template, right? So it depends on how you word everything and what the context is and I don't, I'm not so sure about national laws, but do they, are they applicable in this case? Because the contract is between Sporting and Inter and not Sporting and Benfica. So I don't know. I don't know. I think it's a very gray area. And I think we, we would only know a, an actual decision 
if it actually went to court, but I don't think it will. Yeah. Well, João Mario, I mean, uh, it's kind of interesting. I know we had uh, an interest from Turkey. Uh, I had a great uh, Turkish interview last week and the Turkish clubs love the Portuguese players and managers. So that's always an option. Although, you know, seven and a half million is a lot of money. I think, I think for João Mario, uh, he, he has another issue, an issue. It's not a real issue, but he, he had a kid this, this year and he's comfortable living in Lisbon. And I think that's why Benfica was a, a real option for him because he'd like to stay in Lisbon with his family and, and that's where home is for him, right? So mm -hmm. I'm not so sure if he'd be comfortable going to Turkey. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, like I said, it's, it's very fascinating. I think to me, um, Inter's in a very tough spot. I mean, they spent, I think it was like 45 million euros and by the way, it was five years ago, not four years ago. Right. And uh, now they're going to take... four or five? Well, it was uh, right after they had the European Championship, I remember. Ah, right, 2016. Yeah, right. so it was five. We always think, because we just had the Euro, that it's been four years. But it's unfortunately, with exactly. everything, been uh, five years. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, they spent that much money. And now, even if they somehow wind up getting back seven and a half million, um, you know, in terms of what they pay for Joao, I mean, you're talking about... Let's say you some of the money you take away because he was used by them. I mean, you're talking about a 30 million loss, you know, something like mm -hmm. that, which maybe for an Italian club is they can survive a little bit more, but that's just not very good. It's but it's just a, yeah. a lot of money, a lot of money. And, uh, you know, I think it's a good deal by uh, sporting. I, I think it's still is it still the largest sale? No, Bruno Fernandes. Oh, Bruno, that's right. Bruno, Bruno. Okay. So it's one of the top two. And uh, I'm yeah. curious to see what's going to happen because, uh, you know, Benfica, you know, which we'll talk about shortly, um, you know, they have all this, um, you know, they have this money, they have this opportunity and that uh, would be really good. So João Mario, I think you're right. I think he's put himself, he's burned some bridges and um, I think uh, they probably should have waited, but we'll see what happens. But let's talk about something that I know you really enjoy talking back on May the 11th. That's right. <laughs> and, and that, of course, was when sporting ended the 19-year drought. They won the title. Um, as somebody who, you know, you, you live in the Lisbon area, can you tell me that day, what was it like for you as a fan? I mean, you are a big fan of sporting. You bleed green. You not only follow the football, but you're, you're very in tune with what's going on with the other sports. Um, so you wake up that Tuesday. It's probably just a regular work day. Uh, tell us about your day and tell us what it was like, because that was a long day. It started up when you get up and fans were still celebrating at four o'clock in the morning. Tell us about your day. Yeah, it wasn't a reg regular day. I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> up until maybe a, four or five o'clock. It, it was a... It was a it was a weekday, so it was Wednesday. Oh, was it Wednesday? Um, okay. And and I think it was just difficult for any one of us to to concentrate that day. We, we'd be texting each other and talking to each other. It's like, no, nah, man, I can't work. I can't do anything. Just waiting for um, just waiting for the match later on. Um, I guess I did some stuff in the morning, and then and then in the afternoon. I went for a walk uh, by by the stadium just to get the feel of the thing. Uh, had a couple of friends there. Um, things were starting to heat up. A lot of people coming, more and more people coming all the time. Um, I had arranged to to watch the the match with my dad uh, that day, so I went over to his place and and 
and watch the match there. Um, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> uh, after the match ended, I think, if it had it not been there, it was a shame it was during the pandemic. Um, but you could feel it in the air, like fireworks going crazy everywhere around Lisbon, everyone just going outside and honking their cars and everything. I went over to, to the stadium after the match, like an hour, maybe an hour, hour and a half after the match. And basically from there walked to Merkej and stayed there until four or five in the morning. Where were you in the Marquez? I mean, I, I know they had it fenced up around. And uh, first off, how long of a walk is Avalad to Marquez? I mean, that's got to be, what, an hour maybe? Yeah, in normal circumstances, it'd be an hour. Um, this probably took me about three three or four hours because we were walking and talking and right and, and celebrating and stuff. So uh, we're just taking it easy. Um, they, 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 yeah, so they fenced up everything. Uh, I wasn't actually in the Merkej, I was just uh, maybe 100 meters before in the Avenue down uh, towards Merkej. Um, it, it was a bit weird because of the whole COVID situation. And so usually they don't do this, but this time around, they closed up the avenues that lead up to Merkej. So they closed up, if you sort of know Lisbon, Avenida Republica and Fonte Pereira Mel. So um, it, was only, it was only pedestrians there. Um, and usually a lot of the, the parking or, or the honking or whatever goes around those, those avenues. Um, so, but this time around it was uh, just, just uh, pedestrians. Uh, I guess a lot of people ended up staying home or they just went for a short ride, but, but came, came back early. Um, but yeah, it was great. I saw a lot of my friends during, we, we tried to, because nobody knew what was going to happen because we weren't sure um, what avenues would be open, what wouldn't be open, what police would let us do or not let us do. Um, and it was really difficult to, to set up a meeting with, with meeting points with people because everyone had their own families and their friends and, and sort of things weren't open, so you can really go anywhere to watch the, the match. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was amazing. Did you get a chance to see the open door bus? Did you have a chance? Yeah, for about two minutes. Uh, I think it was about four in the morning when I decided, mm, maybe I'll start heading back and I'll probably get, uh, catch them in the way. And I did, so I catch them, I caught them in, in Saldanha. Uh, just before Marquês. Uh, but yeah, it's only about two minutes. And these sort of celebrations tend to be sort of, I, I think it's great that the players come out and, and it's sort of a focal point for celebrations. But in reality, celebrations are for us, the fans, right? I mean, it's great to greet the team and, you know, sort of applaud them and thank them. But it's, it's, a, it's, it's a fan celebration. We're making... You know, we were here 19 years ago and we're still here and we'll always be here, right? So, yeah, it was great. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that amazes me is the fact that you had, I mean, literally had a, um, 
a parade going on or festivities going on at four in the morning. I think that's the beauty of football and uh, you know soccer and uh, and but and of course and, um, you know with the amount of people that came out, there was a lot of controversial. So the days after, a lot of people felt that this was going to help spread COVID. Um, what do you remember about all that criticism? I mean, should the club have done something that night, or should they have done something in the stadium? Uh, I think, I think uh, the idea was right. So the idea was not to concentrate people in the Marques. The idea was to close up the avenues leading up to Marques, and so people would sort of line up, near, you know, along the avenue towards Marques and head back to the stadium. But then the police, for some reason, decided to fence up uh, the avenues, which caused everyone to sort of get together towards the fences. And then also, I think the only part where the club should have sort of considered things a bit differently was that they took too long um, to leave the stadium. And it's understandable, everybody was celebrating, but that always causes sort of commotion when in big crowds and that's you know people are waiting and stuff like that um so i think that that could have been different in terms of in the stadium you couldn't do anything because of the, the health authorities um which was silly in my opinion it would have been a lot safer i think at least more controlled environment inside the stadium but the authorities didn't didn't let the club do it um i guess in the end there were reports about 10, 20 COVID cases after after the celebrations, I think. Um, and the truth is, and I've seen this in, in different contexts, when we see images on TV um, of, of a lot of people, it's sort of when, you, when you're on this side of the television, television, it looks really bad. But when you're there, it's sort of different because you, you understand that people are conscious of, of that there's a there's a pandemic there's COVID right so people maybe you know they have a beer but then they put their mask on or it, it, it's weird it's very strange and of course when the um, 19 minutes ended when the match ended there of course it was a bit impossible not to hug people or not to get together um, but yeah it's it's what it is. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the upcoming season? Um, is Nuno Mendes going to be sold? It's a good question. I don't think anyone knows. I don't think Sporting knows. I don't think Nuno Mendes knows. I don't think. Uh, the Euro is just about to end. And I, I, I think after the European Championship ends, um, dominoes will start falling, right? So people, players will start moving, start moving from one club to another. And we'll see a bigger activity then. Um, I think that's probably the reason we're getting Juven Vinagre is to, in case Nuno Minj leaves, we have him as a replacement. In case Nuno Minj stays, we have him as a substitute. So, and also we're going to have a long season. I think that's one of our biggest challenges this, this, this upcoming season is that we're going to be in the Champions League and we're going to have a lot more games, a lot more matches. So. We, we need a bit more depth in, in, in our team. So we got Jigayu, which is, I think, a good substitute for Povu. Um, I guess Vinagri is coming soon, so he should be a good substitute for Nunmenj. And we'll see Ugarte has been, I don't know if he's meant to be 
João Mario's replacement, or if there's another player coming that we don't know of. Mm, there's talks of Marcus Edwards as well um, for for the winger position. Um, let's see. Let's see if 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 we can hold on to Nuno. But if we hold on to Nuno, that means we probably have to sell one or two other players. Uh, let's see. The good news is that uh, there was a lot of talk about Ruben Amarin maybe, um, you know, moving on to a bigger club, especially because his buyout, I think, is something like 10 or 20, which in Portugal is a lot, but not necessarily for a big club in Europe. So you've got to be happy that uh, that's not going to apparently going to be happy that, uh, you know, a great manager like him is coming back. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's been amazing this season, I think. Um, nobody, not, not one of us, was expecting um proven to do so well um i think sporting were intelligent in in renewing his contract before the season ended before even knowing that if we were going to be champions or not um because it shows confidence um in the manager um and it sends a, a, a signal out to everyone as in we know what we're doing and we're going to keep doing this and um you know probably nobody's going to pay out the, the buyout costs. Let me ask you a question, um, and we'll, I'll ask you a little bit more about it uh, in a few minutes. But regarding the COVID situation, um, the government has said that fans will be allowed back at obviously a very limited capacity. Uh, is that still the case? And are you going to go back to a match, even if, let's say, it's 20% capacity, but you have a chance to buy a, a ticket to go see maybe the, uh, you know, the uh, the match against uh, Marseille that's coming up this month. Is I don't know if it's Marseille or Lyon. Yeah. Um, it, it, uh, is that an opportunity for you that you're going to take advantage of? I mean, what's the talk right now about fans coming back to stadiums? I'm actually not sure. There, uh, there definitely was talk before the surge of cases um, that fans would be back at the stadium. But then you'll see, and none of the clubs are, are selling season tickets yet. And I'm, I'm guessing it's because everyone's waiting for a, a decision by the government. Um, I don't think we'll be at full, full capacity just yet. Um, I'd probably go if there was a 20, 30, 50% capacity, uh, because I probably, hopefully, <laughs> I'll be vaccinated by then. And with masks and open air, I think. People are feeling a bit more comfortable now. Um, so, yeah, I would probably go. Okay. Porto's president, Pinto de Costa, has been very outspoken on this topic, but you haven't heard too much from Benfica or Sporting. He, he doesn't understand why, you know, you can go see a movie, you can go to a cultural event, um, but they don't, you know, they don't allow fans to go to watch a match, even though in the case of football, matches are outdoors, Obviously, you're not going to have 50,000 or 40,000 or even 10,000 at one of the smaller stadiums. Um, I, I just, I mean, can you understand, like, why, in your opinion, why is there such a tight hold on a match and not necessarily being able to go? Like, I have family that live up in North, in Arctic Vision. There was a concert indoor recently. It was on YouTube. And people, I couldn't believe that, yet they, they'll allow something like that to happen, but they won't necessarily allow fans in the stadiums. I mean, what do you think is the logic behind that? And, and, and by the way, every government's entitled to do whatever they feel is necessary, but 5,000 fans in a 50,000-seat stadium spread out is probably as safe as you can get. I mean, well, what's the logic? Good question. <laughs> um, 
I think it's just politics. Um, I can't really, I, I share everything you said. I, I, I really don't understand the logic of many things that are happening right now. Um, I think they're all hoping that this goes away by magic, not, not by magic, but with the vaccination process and everything. Um, I, I don't know because, well, we allowed Champions League to happen, right? The final. Um, but then we can't go to matches. I, I don't understand. I seriously don't. Um, I'm sure there's some politics behind it that we can't, you know, we don't know about. Um, but I don't think it's a health argument. I think it's a politics issue. Yeah, it's a very, very unfortunate uh, situation. Let's talk about COVID. Um, apparently, the situation is growing in Lisbon with, well, not Lisbon, but Portugal with the numbers. But Lisbon was on lockdown the last two weekends. What exactly happened? Like no one was allowed in or out. This is like uh, that movie Escape from New York, where they don't allow anybody in or out. Like, well, what exactly was that all about? It's not that bad. I mean, yes, we're not in allowed in or out, but it's greater, greater Lisbon, right? So we're, we're talking from Irisaira down to Stuvo. Uh, it's, it's a big area. So you can still go to the beach and, and, and sort of um, be around. Uh, things are closed in the afternoon on weekends. So I guess it's because they don't want too many get togethers, especially at night, because they're seeing a lot of young people out in the street. And now we got the, this curfew at 11 p.m. Um, yeah, it's not looking good right now. Things are surging. I think I just saw on the news it was 3,000 something cases. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping because uh, they've ramped up vaccination. So I think we had 150,000 people vaccinated, and which is a record, uh, I think. Um, so they're trying to ramp up vaccination. And I guess with that, hoping to, to stop the surge. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's going to work or not, but yeah, it, it's, I was just a month down in the Algarve um, where there weren't many people and also there's not many tourists, which is, for me, it was amazing because you could be alone on the beach at 7 p.m. and um, on, on a summer day in the Algarve, which is unheard of probably. Um, and it was weird coming back to Lisbon um, with all the restrictions everywhere that you didn't have in the Algarve because there are many people around and you sort of can walk freely. Um, but I don't know. Let's hope that by the end of the summer, things start to get better, hopefully. Yeah. By the way, um, for some reason, somebody in my street has decided to turn on a uh, some type of motor. So hopefully that doesn't come out too strong here in this podcast. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. Well, let me tell you, um, I was planning on going this summer. I'm still 50-50, but uh, it's probably looking like the fall. And a lot of people I talk to, I now hear September, October, and November as their visits. Um, right now, the only airline flying into Portugal, I believe, is TAP if you're coming from uh, North America, but I believe next month uh, more airlines are going to fly in. But I, I've talked about this toward the end of every episode because uh, unfortunately, um, you know, when it comes to football, there's been no fans and that has been a lot of money that has been uh, lost on the teams. But obviously we understand, but, you know, I think the question is, is why not allow a certain amount of fans um, because, you know, here these waves are still happening and football still doesn't allow fans. So 
I don't think it has anything to do with uh, fans at matches, but um, it's a, it's a very tough situation. I, I know a lot of people that want to go to Portugal and uh, right now they're very hesitant to go. And as we know, the economy in Portugal is very reliant uh, to a certain degree on tourism. And today, or was it yesterday, I saw in the news that France is discouraging people to go to Portugal. And uh, I'm not sure what it's like in the uh, Lisbon region, but I know when you go up north to Minho, where uh, I have family, um, every two or three cars you see, two of them are from France. Everybody does the drive from France to Portugal. Um, You know, it's like a 24 hour drive apparently. And, uh, you know, all these people make the uh, make the trip. But if they don't go, if the French Portuguese don't go to Portugal, you know, that's going to be a disaster. So, uh, yeah, my thoughts are my thoughts are uh, with it. I, I follow the news very closely. And uh, I, I have a feeling that unless things change in the next few weeks, that I think by the time you get to the end of July and you start talking about Sporting Lyon, uh, Benfica's playing Marseille, uh, Porto has a we're dropping this podcast hasn't released a preseason schedule yet, but they're obviously going to be playing somebody at home, you know, toward the end of uh, July. And it would be nice to have uh, fans, but I think right now that's uh, not looking very good. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do a U-turn on that and, and say no. Um, but like I said, we'll see, but uh, I, I have a lot of people, Bob, who, who, who ask me questions about this. And this is kind of why I talk about it. And like I, and uh, before we move on to our next topic, uh, regarding Luis Flibieta, um, let me just say again for all those that are listening and you're still planning on going to Portugal, pay attention to your tickets for the airlines in terms of if you have to cancel your trip. Same thing with the hotels, um, because it could be very costly if you're not following uh, the rules. Uh, or if you're rich, just by the, uh, you know, it's like when you go on an airline, you have like five choices now. And there's one that's like the most expensive that you can do whatever you want. You can make as many changes as you want. And then you have the least restrictive where that's it. You bought it. This is your seat. This is the time you leave End the story. And I tend to be on that side. So for all those, when you buy your tickets, just pay attention to that. Um, living in Lisbon, uh, the Luis Felipe Vieira situation, uh, obviously a lot of uh, sporting and Porto fans are taking uh, great delight in this. Um, but this was big news in Portugal. Um, I always say, I realize that there's a rivalry, but unfortunately this type of news does go around the world. Uh, we do live in an age of, um, of social media where information, you know, 25 years ago, I, it, I would get a newspaper from Portugal. It would be two or three days old. Now we're getting information uh, from Portugal uh, through social media that is within a few minutes old. You know, the world has uh, changed. And I think sometimes these situations with, you know, like a Luis Flibieta, um, this is not good for uh, Portugal, who I think sometimes doesn't have a great reputation. What's, what's the opinion in Lisbon on this? Do, do, you know, from your average person, is this just another example of football's excesses? That, you know, this is just football not being controlled. Although this has nothing to do with football, he is nevertheless president of one of the biggest clubs in Portugal. What's your thoughts? Um, so first of all, I'm a sporting fan. And I think one of the things that I least liked uh, when a lot of people used to comment um, on our situation, on sporting situation with Bruno and everything, um, I always thought, why are fans from other clubs uh, giving opinions on what we should or shouldn't do. So I'm not going to be hypocritical and I'm not going to say 
you know, these guys should do this or that, or he did this or that. It's, I think it's a, an issue that, that's for Benfica fans, I guess, to deal with. Um, it, it is somehow related to, to, to football in the sense that um, supposedly he, he uh, stole money from Benfica through transfers and commissions and something, I'm not so sure. Um, I think I, I can't really speak to general opinion, to be honest, because from what I can tell, it's 50-50 between Benfica fans, uh, I guess. Some Benfica fans are for, other, other Benfica fans are against. Obviously, all the, all the Sporting and Porto fans will tell you, well, we saw this coming, you know, years ago. It, it was obvious. Um, a lot of us talked about it on, on social media and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not good news. I guess I, I hadn't thought about it that way because when, when I saw you know, it was on Reuters and, you know, other, other international outlets. I just think about, well, it's Benfica's name. But you're right, it's not just Benfica's name, really. It's, it's Portuguese football's name um, that, that gets thrown in the mud. Um, so it's not really good news in that, in that sense. Um, I don't know. I don't know about the rest. We'll see what happens. Um, if I had to guess... I'd probably say that's the last of Luisip Vieira as Benfica president, regardless of him being guilty or not. It's just the fact that he's with all these um, cases on in court and everything, and, and Benfica's image gets a bit uh, thrown in the mud as well with, with all of this. So I think, yeah, that's the end of his reign and probably the beginning of Huipasta, but who knows? Yeah, I know they've talked about Rio Costa. They've talked about the Benfica CEO, who uh, tends to do an interview once a month talking about Benfica business, and he could be a guy. But I think in this position, when you're the uh, president of a big club like Sporting Porto Benfica, a lot of times there are people that do the real work, and then there are people that are the face of the team. I think Rui Costa, I think, might be the... Uh, you know, might be the uh, right person. So we'll see what happens. But I, I have to tell you, um, again... Looking at Portugal from the outside, um, there's a lot of news about this in a lot of newspapers, and it's just not good for Portugal. And um, it's just it's just not. And and I know a lot of fans are fans, and they care about their club. And you see, you see, you see. It's all along. It was you guys and not us, and yet you accused us of this. But at the end of the day, we no longer live in a world where information takes a, you know five days to get around the world. Now it takes, you know, within an hour people were already reporting this news. I, I just think that's, um, you know, very, un, uh, you know, very unfortunate. Um, again, my guest here is uh, Bavin, B-A-A-V-I-N. Follow him on Twitter. And if you're not, why aren't you following him on Twitter? What's going on here? But I, I want to say thank you for uh, coming on. Um, you know, obviously, uh, first off, we're recording this on a Thursday. Uh, later on tonight is the, uh, the Liga draw, which for me, is truly the first day of the uh, season, um, yeah. you know. And uh, so, what's your thoughts about the, uh, you know, the draw? And by the way, are you like me? I thought they announced seventeen thirty. Then I saw nineteen hundred hours, and then whenever they do start it, let's say it's, let's just say it's nineteen hundred hours. They say nineteen hundred hours is the draw, and then you look at the draw, 
and then it's speech, then it's speech, <laughs> then it's an award. It's like what they do at like a World Cup or Euro draw. Yeah. They have they say it's going to be at this time, and then you watch it, and then an hour later, they're still talking. I think, I think they've become uh, they've made this like a big event, right? So there's sort of uh, this back in the day it didn't used to be like so, right? You just get the draw out and hear the teams and. Now they're making it an event, a show, sort of a bigger thing. Um, it, it's it's how football is going, right? And it's good that I think in, in that aspect, it's good that Portugal is and the Liga is is trying to modernize its image. Um, let's see, let's see how the draw pans out. I know that they've. I didn't read um, thoroughly, but I know they've made a, a bunch of. Condition, conditioning um, yeah, like conditioning some rules for yeah. European teams. Um, so they, they're trying to protect the, the clubs that go that play European matches, which is a good sign. I think that's something a lot of us have been asking for. Um, it's been a long time since we've been asking for that. So let's see. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it tonight. To me, it's uh, it's the first part of the uh, the season, and uh, but I just you know every year it's just like oh, they announce this time. It's like Major League Soccer here in the states. They'll announce a game. It's gonna kick off at like six thirty, but it doesn't really kick off until seven. And I just to me, it's just like one of my. Th- I I could understand fifteen minutes. Okay, I'll give you fifteen minutes. It's like when you yeah. go to a movie now. They say the movie's at this time, but twenty minutes later, you're still watching previews. You know, I mean, uh, that's just uh, the way it uh, goes. By the way, let me ask you a question. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, there's always a different opinion in Portugal, and then there might be a different opinion from people outside Portugal when they're reading the news. Uh, I personally think that the president of the Liga, Pedro Porenza, I think he's done a very nice job. And I say that because I like what he's done with the League Cup, the Tasa de Liga. You know, it, it was a competition that clubs thought was an inconvenience to now this midseason champion which I think is is really very good. Um, the only thing I wish is he mentioned at one point that all the second division matches were going to be more available on TV. But right now, unless you're watching them at like 11 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday or a Sunday, and sometimes they'll even play on a Monday night. Um, but I think overall, maybe it's because I come from a different part of the world, but I also do understand sports business. Uh, they just did this big deal with uh, BWIN which is a big betting spot. I think he's actually done a nice little job there. Um, it's not easy um, where you have a top-heavy league of three big teams, and then you have Braga and Aguimarães, which have big followings too. It's not easy to satisfy everybody. Um, but, but I just think he's done a pretty nice job. There are some issues. I know a lot of people were upset at him last year when he wanted some of the Liga matches. When they started up to finish the final 10 matches, he wanted some of the matches to be on uh, what we call free TV, meaning you don't, you know, premium TV, and that got him in a lot of trouble. But I think overall he's done a nice job. Your opinion as a fan, what's your opinion on, on the Liga and Pedro Porenza? I think in general I agree with you. I think it's impossible to... To please everyone, there will be times that sporting fans will not like something, and Benfica fans won't like something, and Porto fans won't like something, and then all the other fans won't like something because um, they see they they perceive the three big ones as always being favored by the Liga, um, and then the second league will have their own issues and they won't like something that has been done. 
but at the end of the day, it's it's what so it's, is it thirty six teams in the end, thirty six teams total. Um, uh, between both divisions, first and second, I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So those thirty six teams every year um, get together. They set out the rules for the coming year. Um, the, I believe the calendarization isn't uh, a one way. So it's not top down. It's not the league decides. I think the league sits down with all the clubs um, every X weeks or months. Um, and everyone <clears throat> ends up agreeing with a, a timetable, knowing the constraints that they have with um, Sport TV. Um, so a lot of times uh, I, I see coaches and, and presidents um, complaining about timings of a match, but it was it only happened because they said okay to it. So I think it's a bit hypocritical when they do that. Um, in general, I think we, we're moving in the right direction. I think uh, I'd like to see I'd like to see more things happen for the fans. The sorry, the stadium-going fans, um, not just the TV fans. Even though I realize, obviously, a lot of the money, most of the money, comes from TV rights for, uh, these days. Um, if it wasn't for TV rights, I don't know how last season would have gone through the end. Um, but yeah, I think in general, the guys done a, a pretty good job. Remember that a lot of things that we, a lot of fans associate with the Liga aren't actually Liga's uh, problems, such as refereeing and stuff like that. It's with the Federação, not the Liga. Um, there's a bunch of things that fans get mixed yeah. up. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think in general, we're, we're, just, we're seeing a more modern game. Um, and and we had, a, like for example, a good stance uh, regarding the Super, the European Super Cup, where we got together with Tebas and and all of the, and UEFA and, uh, sorry, no, yeah, UEFA, and sort of ganged up against the, 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 the dissidents. <laughs> um, I think that that was a good move. But yeah, in general, I agree with you. I think we're heading the right direction. Yeah, I think that uh, one of the things that they should do is um, put some of the second division matches on uh, YouTube. You know, like I, I believe, I think there's, I believe there's two or three matches per round that are shown on Sport TV. They usually have an early match on Saturday and Sunday. Then there's usually a match on Monday night or sometimes even on a Tuesday, which clubs are happy to do to get on tele TV. But I think for me, they should uh, put some of those matches, second division matches on YouTube. Uh, if it's if it's trying to pay, um, protect their subscription, you know, maybe Geos, whatever they do with the ability to show to, you know, not see the YouTube in Portugal, but you can see it on the outside. Um, that's what I like to see, because I think that was one of the things that that he said a few years ago, Pedro Prensa, was that he wanted to see more of the second division matches I'm, available. I'm thinking, I'm thinking the contracts that clubs have already signed with the with, with Sport TV, um, which were 10-year contracts, most of them, I think. And then it's probably not easy to convince Sport TV to, to because if you're going to show it live, then you need a producer, you need uh, next number of cameras there. 
and they have to want to do it. I guess the Liga can't force them to do that. And I'm guessing the Liga doesn't have their own means um, to broadcast it. So, but if the next round of TV rights gets centralized, which is what's meant to happen, right? It's been written believe, into yeah. law. Yeah, 27, 28 season. Yeah. yeah. So it's been written into law. So I think from there, the Liga should have a lot more control about what happens in, in terms of broadcasting. And there should be changes there, I think. Yeah, and Sport TV gets a lot of criticism too, but Portugal needs to be very grateful um, because they show a lot of sports. I don't think people understand how expensive it is to buy sports rights. It's mm -hmm. ridiculous. I mean, whenever I see uh, something on television like tennis or the NBA, I mean, that is by no means cheap. I mean, that is a lot of money. And uh, I know in, in sport TV has got a humongous package in Portugal. Um, I think it's something like, uh, I don't know, nine or 10 channels or something like that. But uh, we also can't forget that sport TV, I think does do a very good job, but overall, I like what the Liga does. I like the professionalism. I think Pedro Perens has done a very good job. And you're right. They do not oversee, even though he used to be a referee in his day and he refereed some, by the way, some very big matches to his credit. Um, it's not the Liga that oversees uh, the referees. And uh, let, let me end this uh, episode by asking you a quick question. There used to be a time in Portugal. I don't know if you might know this, but let me ask you anyway, in case you do. Um, used to be a time that the referee, they do a draw that say which referees would work which matches. Now it's done by a nomination system. And whenever there's a classic or a derby, it tends to be usually the choices are only one or two mat two referees. Um, why did they get away from that? I think if they did the random draw, there could be no argument that this person was mm -hmm. sort of forced onto this match. You can make that argument. But uh, do you remember those times when they used to do like, uh, there would be like a weekly draw? That the, would reason say... I remember, the reason I remember that was because, because that happened between 2000 and 2002 and Sporting won two championships then. You tell, okay. Um, <laughs> so it's one of the things that we used to say that, you know, back in the day when we used to have draws and not nominations, um, it, things will be fair but to be honest I, I don't think it should be an open draw um i think it makes sense having uh, you have levels of difficulty for matches so imagine a Benfica Porto Sporting Benfica uh you should have only the international referees um maybe rule out the one that did the, the last one um and then between those three or four or five whatever referees remaining then you should draw between them so it's sort of a, a close system between um who gets not uh, who, who gets drawn to a to a match i don't think an open draw makes sense because i guess you you maybe you'd get very young referees refereeing very important matches which they might not be ready for yet so that could be a problem but yeah i think a, a closed system of of drawing would be would be fairer yeah. Bavin, thank you so much for your time. You. I know you're a very busy man. Um, I could see your window behind it. So I guess in Taze, is it a sunny day today in uh, the it's Lisbon a sunny area? Day. Yeah. Yeah, good. A sunny day in Lisbon. I like that. It's too, uh, you know. So um, thank you so much for your opinions. You. Um, always like to get the. It's one thing when people read stuff and have information through the internet or television, it's another thing when there's somebody that's actually based and 
is involved in Portugal and understands things. So I just want to I say- think uh, It's also you. interesting for me. Uh, let me just say it's interesting for me listening to your end. So, you know, here we read the news every day and are into it so much um, that we sort of forget that people follow Portuguese football from across the continent, you know, from America and everywhere. And, and we tend to forget that sometimes. And it's interesting to, to listen to your perspective of, of things as well. Yeah, no, there is a lot. I mean, England, South Africa, North America, I mean, Canada, USA. Um, one of the sad things about the pandemic is you're usually in North America, there's a Portuguese team that comes, whether it's part of, uh, you know, a few years ago, we had both Sporting and Benfica that came to North America. And that's usually like almost like a, uh, it's like an unofficial holiday where everybody gets together to watch, you know, the Benfica or the Sporting at Yankee Stadium. Mm -hmm. You know, I know so many people, uh, people that, uh, you know, came from different parts of the United States to watch the match. And it's unfortunate. But yeah, I, I, that, by the way, I will say this, that I don't believe, in my opinion, I've always tried to provide a pros and cons perspective on this podcast. I try to be honest about what I know, but I also try to admit what I don't know. And one of the things to me in Portugal that is a bit frustrating, like sometimes when we talk offline, like before is there's a lot of people in Portugal I think, that don't understand how many people outside of Portugal do like Portuguese football, particularly among the immigrants. Um, I think the only did you people see, that- Did you see what Jurgen Klopp said? Um, yes, he was talking about how, you know, uh, that was about two months ago yeah. that he was talking about how he was fascinated by the uh, culture. And uh, and look, we might have an unfortunate situation like Luis Vieira, but if somebody goes to see a Sporting Benfica or the big three play, if you go see a match at a Guimarães, you go see a big match at Braga. I mean, there's, there's a lot of passion there. Um, yeah. It's not, you know, necessarily... 60,000 fans at the Emirates or Old Trafford, but it's still very, very good. But I, I do personally feel like, I think the Federation understands it the best by looking at their social media, the way they recognize the immigrants. But I do think if I were to say something about the Liga and the clubs is I don't believe they do enough to recognize that Portuguese audience outside of Portugal. You know, putting out a graphic what the times are in different parts of the world when your team plays a match. I don't know if you've ever seen it. They'll put like mm -hmm. Champions League match today, you know, 20, 20 hours Lisbon, you know, 1400 hours New York, you know, stuff like that. And I do it as well, uh, but I do it because people want it. But I think that's as far as some clubs go. And, um, you know, I think they don't do... What do they, you they, think they, they could do. do or should do? Well, I mean, I, I know... They have English language accounts, but I'm not sure who does them, if it's done here or if it's done the abroad. Liga, the Liga doesn't have it, I don't think. Yeah, the, the Liga, Liga actually it. has, um, they, they started a Japanese account um, on account of, of, of the few Jap Japanese players we've had in the, the Portuguese league lately. Um, but for some reason, the, they don't have the, the English account yet. Yeah, I, they, I'm surprised they don't have Chinese yet, because I know that uh, they're always trying to... Uh, get the uh, Chinese audience. But I think for me, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is I wish they would do a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more recognition. I think, uh, you know, a particular city, the big weekend of the Classico about showing some photos of fans in Newark, New Jersey or Fall River, solicit photos. Hey, what are you doing in your part of the world? Let's see where you're watching this match and, and kind of show the, um, 
what they call the 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 panorama of how many Portuguese are around the world. I, mm-hmm. I, that's just my opinion. I mean, again, yeah, I might be sense. wrong, but uh, I just think sometimes the most amount of commitment you see from clubs is when they go abroad to play these matches, which, by the way, are not cheap. By the way, they're very expensive. But nevertheless, people see it as they don't care because it's not happening every week. It's your one chance. And I'll tell you something else about Portugal. I know a lot of people would disagree with me on this, and maybe this will be possible in the future. I don't see any reason why the Super Cup, why you couldn't play that in Paris, you couldn't play it in London. One year you could play that in uh, New York. That happened in Toronto. the past. It used that to happen happened. many years ago. Many yeah. people forget. I, I have a very younger generation. You know, people that grew up around social media don't realize that before social media, clubs used to play abroad. Back in the days, I think, when there was like two legs sometimes for the we Super won, Cup. We won, Sporting won a, a Super Cup against Porto on a two-leg a two leg, uh, match in, in Paris. Yeah, I, I think to me that would be nice to see them put the Super Cup in another part. Now, the reason sometimes why they don't want to do it, and it's understandable in a way, usually the, the beginning of the season coincides with European qualifiers, managers you know the way that managers do conditioning and training now is different than 20 years ago 20 years ago guys would take a month off drink all the beer they want sit in the sun all day and then they show up for the first day of training and now they're really working to get into shape now players are working 365 days a year to get into shape so the idea of taking a big trip let's say to north america a week before you start your season to play the Super Cup, some would see that as being an inconvenience for the players. But to me, I think it would be very good for marketing. And uh, look, the EPL, when the EPL comes to North America, major excitement, major. Yeah. They sell out major arenas, major stadiums. But um, in Portugal, you know, that would be. And, you know, even if it was, you know, bringing, maybe they've talked about bringing, La Liga's talked about bringing a regular season match to Miami. Um, obviously it probably wouldn't be one of the big clubs. It'd be one of the smaller clubs giving up a home game, but nevertheless, that would be a big deal. But maybe I'm talking from a North American perspective, but I also say this because Johannesburg, London, um, unfortunately, I don't think you could do Australia. That's just too far because there are a lot of Portuguese in that part yeah. of the world. But I just think, you know, it'd be nice. I think if they did the Super Cup, even if it was in other parts of Europe, let's just say for now, you know, a Paris, a London, I think that would be good because sometimes the national team plays matches in Switzerland. They've played yeah. some neutral. And why do they do that? Because there's money to be made and there's a lot of Portuguese there. Of course. Uh, yeah. You know, Makes so, sense. so anyway, maybe it's, I'm coming from a different angle of uh, sports marketing, but I think for me, it would be pretty harmless. One leg play the match, you know, in another part of the world, I think that would be uh, fantastic. But on the other hand, I understand the players, but you know what? The players that fly in these airlines, it's so beautiful, these airlines. They're not flying coach. Exactly. They're not flying like us, right? They're not waiting three hours in the queue to get in and security and all that, right? Yeah, I mean, the TV shows them showing their ticket. You know, the the players walk in, the cameras are in their face, player smiles through the rain, through the rain, player goes, they show him going through the metal detector, they show him giving the person the thing, but then... Boom, they go right to another gate and boom, they take off. They're not waiting, exactly. you know, three hours. They're not waiting, you know, it's like, uh, it's like me. When I get to Portugal, the lines are long to check your passport. That ain't happening with the clubs in Portugal or yeah. whatever. So that's mm-hmm. just my opinion. But listen, uh, thank you so much for your time. Um, I'll you. bring you on uh, later on this year or early next year, you know, to kind of get a feel. Very exciting times for sporting. 
Uh, year two, uh, same manager, mostly the same players. Um, can they repeat playing in the Champions League? Will that be a, all of a sudden having to play an extra? And by the way, not just a big match, but I mean a really big match, likely against a big power among the uh, three teams they'll play. We'll see how sporting uh, handles that. And we'll see this summer if they make any serious money. Because at the end of the day, Portuguese clubs, uh, you know, that's what they do in the summer. That's how they, you know, that's what they do. They've got to, they have the TV money, which you're right, uh, helped the uh, Liga survive last year. But they also have to sell players to help pay for the bills and, and, and things like that. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Folks, this has been another episode. So, Bobin, before I forget, thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you, John. So this has been another episode of the PortugueseSoccer.com podcast. As always, available iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and also the audio version of this will be, is available on our YouTube channel, PortugueseSoccer.com. So thanks again for listening. Thanks again for all your support. Please stay safe, and I'll talk to you next time. Take care, everybody.